Green and White Noise is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Michigan State ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off, and maybe even more for MSU tickets right now. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. With only a handful of MSU games left, you're not going to want to buy through the box office. You're going to find them cheaper on game time. So if you're still looking to go to MSU games, I recommend that is definitely the way to go. We've already had some people who have tweeted at us that uh, it was easy to use. It's two-tap checkout, simple, very quick, and easy. So you guys check that out. Head to the App Store or the Play Store now to download game time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Oh, they'll fake it. Bates throws it. He's got him. Wide open. (laughs) He's got Charlie Gant inside the 10. He can walk in. Spartans win. Touchdown, MSU. Whoa, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State. Jalen wants Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Green and White Noise. My name is Chris Vanini. I'm joined by Colton Pouncey. We are your hosts, and it's time to talk Michigan State football the loss of the land-grant trophy, and perhaps the loss of some hope. Reminder that our weekly Thursday pod is available only for subscribers. Those of you who checked it out last week uh, got some great insight by Audrey Snyder. We got we actually got a lot of comments about uh, how enjoyable she was to have on, and some people want her back on to, to talk about whatever in the future. So we might do that. Uh, check out the Andy Staple Show. Every Sunday morning, weekly recap of uh, the latest in college football, anything you might have missed the previous day. Colton, how's it going? Chris, it's a sad day. Um, this, this is the first time since I joined the MSU beat that the land-grant trophy is no longer 10 minutes away from me. And uh, I'm, I'm hurting right now, i got to be honest with you. There's a, there's a void everybody, I'm sure, up there can yeah. feel. It. It's, it's rough, man. So MSU loses to Penn State 28-7, to a game that was never really all that close. MSU played three different quarterbacks. MSU has lost three straight games by at least 21 points for the first time ever, meaning 123 years of football. This has never happened. Next Monday marks one month since they last won a game, and since they have a bye week. It means they'll go almost six weeks, potentially, between wins, and that's if they beat Illinois. Uh, So this is obviously a very, very low moment for Michigan State football, a very, perhaps one of the lowest. I don't know if I would say it's the lowest, but I think the theme coming out of this game is basically what I said at the opening, and that is kind of a a loss of, of hope. Colton, you... Toward the end of that game, decided to wander out into the rain, the cold rain, to talk to folks and see those of those of them who were there, why they were still there. How was how was that experience? Yeah, so this game was maybe, probably, definitely over by the time I went down there in the fourth quarter. Um, 
I think I made it down with about 12 minutes left to play. Um, every other writer in the press box had pretty much tuned out by then. And I wanted to go down and see what the people were saying in the bleachers. So uh, I took a trip down there. And I talked to a few different isolated fans in, in the student section. Um, I met a senior named Jonathan who sat alone in, uh, I believe, section 14. And uh, he pretty much kept to himself. His hands were in his pocket trying to stay warm. Uh, he showed up by himself because... His friends didn't want to sit in the rain to see a loss, uh, but he was determined to stick it out, and he stayed till the very end. Uh, and then I noticed a very passionate student who was yelling and screaming after every single play. Um, the dude was like leaning over the railing, screaming at the top of his lungs after like a two-yard gain when MSC was like backed up in its own one-yard line. So naturally, I had to go talk to him. Uh, his name is Matthew Murray. Uh, he's a freshman at Michigan State. His friends ditched him in the first and third quarter uh but he kind of stayed out and actually gave me a pretty good interview so uh we can check that out right now um so you look like you're having more fun than the team right now yeah yeah <laughs> is that, is that safe to say? i would think so yeah. yeah yeah um i guess why are you so excited in a game that it's currently 28 to 7 uh fourth quarter it doesn't look good for Michigan State. well you know it's just my my family says you hate to love him okay. and and i love him so much that it's hard for me to leave. Okay. I can't. I, I love supporting them, and no matter what, I'm a Spartan for life, so yeah. I always support them. I mean, I see you. I mean, the team's here backed up on its own, like one and two yard line. Yeah. You're still like pointing at guys and clapping. Oh, guys. Hey, as much as I can get into the head of Penn State or the opponent team, uh, anything to help my team, as little as it can be, that's what I do as a fan. Do you feel like it's working? I would. I would like to say so. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. I wish it was though. I wish it was. Okay. Well, credit to Matt Murray for optimism in the face of very little uh that was that's kind of the theme of this episode i think we're going to get to a number of voicemails later we appreciate all of you guys who called in um we're going to kind of make a lot of this right now about uh you guys the listeners the fans because how you guys handle this and the rest of the season is kind of uh it's kind of an unknown right now but let's talk about the actual game here it's not a ton to get into, but when I when I think about this game and takeaways and what what to take out of it, to me it, it continues this theme of they're just not doing the little things right. Uh, it, it it started from the very beginning. Penn State fumbles the opening kickoff, and MSU isn't able to recover it. That's maybe that's just fumble luck, whatever. It's, it's first play chance to 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 make it to have a clutch thing happen and it doesn't they don't recover the, the kickoff Penn State punts it MSU faces second and third on its first drive then third and one cannot pick it up has to punt away Penn State's next drive MSU jumps offside on third and one Josh Butler misjudges a real duck of a pass on a wheel route touchdown Penn State then MSU facing third and long they run a screen pass that actually was set up pretty well and Elijah Collins drops it. May have picked it up if he doesn't. If he if he catches that. Next Penn State drive, MSU gets a stop on third and long, but there's a defensive holding. Drive continues. Penn State touchdown. It's 13-0 just like that. And all the wind of anything is is just absolutely sucked out. Stadium of the team of of everything. And it's just a team that just, just has not made the clutch plays for a few years now. I mean, they kind of did in 2017, but three or four years now, there's just they can't do those things right. Entering this, so entering this game, I looked this up yesterday. MSU was 
number 74 nationally in third down percentage defense this year. Penn State started the game two for three on third down, and that was part of taking that lead. They, they finished four for 14, and I think MSU actually moved up a bit. But MSU was top 30 in third down defense in seven of the previous eight seasons, going back to 2011. The only one outside of the top 30 was that three-win season in 2016. It's an example of we've talked about before how this defense has been good, not great. They can't get off the field. It's causing a lot of problems. Drops continue to be a problem. Elijah Collins had two. There were some others. So my biggest takeaway from this game is just the continuation of, of, of what we've seen all of this year and last year, which was a team that just does not, an undisciplined team that just does not make the little plays that are there that, that can be the difference in a game. Colton, you were obviously there in the press box for most of it. You talked to coaches and players afterward. What's kind of your feeling coming out of this game? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the little things, like you mentioned, that, that's a huge part, and that's that's been an issue all season. You know, just can't get off the field on third down, or you're shooting yourself in the foot with penalties, and, you know, that's kind of ingrained in this team right now, and I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Um, so I, I didn't have a ton of takeaways. You know, this is kind of the game that we expected in the rain. Uh, this is kind of how Michigan State plays against ranked teams and, and good competition. Um, when Michigan State fell behind early, it, it, it never really felt like they had a chance to come back, even though Penn State wasn't, you know, blowing them out. It, it just didn't feel like they could claw their way back in this game. Um, I thought Brian Lewerke needed to play his best game of the season. Um, obviously, the rain was a factor, but, you know, Sean Clifford threw in the rain too, and he threw four touchdowns. He so looked good. He looked really good. So, I, you know, he didn't he didn't have his best game, and he was ended up being benched at, on two separate occasions in this game. Um, so, MCU couldn't throw the ball. It couldn't run the ball against Penn State's uh, rushing defense, which is one of the best in the country. Uh, like we said, the mental errors continued to pile up. Uh, couldn't get off the field, and uh, this was just, to me. This just wasn't a team that was ready to compete and and ready to upset an undefeated Penn State squad. Um, and now looking at the team right now, zero and three against arguably the top three teams in the Big Ten, and we're outscored one hundred to seventeen in those games. So, uh, my, I guess my takeaway is that Michigan State just isn't as good as we thought this team was going to be. And uh, kind of adding on to what I said earlier, allowing or losing by at least 21 points in three straight games um, for the first time ever. I, I tweeted it earlier, and there were some people who asked if MSU had ever played two top 10 teams, three top 10 teams in a row, and they have in, in 1970 and 1972. But even back to 2011, they played at Ohio State, followed by three top 15 teams in a row, and they won three of those four games. So... The opponent is not the issue. All of these opponents have covered the point spread. MSU just has not been competitive at all in these games, and that's that's what the the biggest problem is. Um, other little things, I mean, like I don't. So, I mean, MSU beat Penn State in the rain two years ago. They beat a Penn State team. They won two straight games against top ten Penn State teams that they had no business winning because they the defense was able to get off the field at times and offense made just enough clutch plays. It's never been pretty these last three years, now four years with this team, but in big moments they were able to step up, and that has not been the case at all this year. Lewerke, you said, not great, 16 for 34, passing 165 yards and an interception. There were at least three or four drops in there too, and I, I know part of it's the rain, but he just is getting – 
he, he Lewerke was not good, but man, he is getting no help at all yep. from anybody. Um, it's, it's very clear that wide receivers are not getting open down the field. He was hit a couple times because of that. Um, we can't see on the TV broadcast what the situation is, but receivers are not only are they not making catches, but they're dropping balls as well. Elijah, so and, and Elijah Collins, like I thought he looked okay. He finished with 53 yards on 17 carries, 3.1 a carry. Not great. I think the biggest tell is a long of nine. Yeah. Nine yards was his longest run. And that's the biggest key in his development. I think he's. I think he can be really good if he has good players around him. He's still learning that position. Um, and he's, But he's able to find holes. And he's, he's got the vision to go where he needs to go. But he can't. He's unable to break three or four tackles on a play. He basically has to break the tackles he can to get the yards that he can because the the, the offensive line's not great and especially yeah. down downfield blocking past the line, not great. So that that's something he'll need to work on to, to get those big explosive runs that we've yet to see. But um I think he's got a bright future. But another thing, let me throw this to you. Uh he left the game for a little bit and it was pretty evident right on that this is where losing multiple running backs to transfer was going to be a problem. Yeah, and, and I think that was the biggest issue or, or the biggest concern, I should say, uh, when Connor Hayward transferred and when Ladarius Jefferson transferred and I guess even Weston Bridges to an extent because he has some experience at running back. But when, when Elijah Collins goes down, you know, he's, he's your top guy and you got to rely on these these two freshmen. Um, you know, Brandon Wright got his first, the first action of his career in this game. Um, Anthony Williams got a couple of touches, but, you know, he had the touchdown, but didn't make too much of his opportunities, I guess. Um, and then again, you know, Matt Seibert is kind of in the backfield <laughs> on third down. Your tight ends in the backfield at, uh, as a running back on pass protection down. So I think that's a, that's another big tell of what you're going to do on that play. Um, and, and yeah, this is kind of the worst case scenario. Like luckily for Michigan State, he was able to come back in this game. Um, but, you know, if, if there comes a time where he has to miss significant time with an injury, I don't think you feel good with the two freshmen back there at all. Um, they're still kind of learning the position and their pass protection situations and, and everything that comes with being a running back. So, and, and Elijah Collins is doing that himself. I mean, he's only a redshirt freshman. He's still growing along the way as well. So I, I, he's definitely not a finished product at this point, but I think he's kind of the best option right now. And if something happens to him, um, man, this offense, I, I, I didn't think this was possible, but it could get worse if something happens to him. That well, that well, that's another thing I was gonna say. I, I think he has a bright future, but man, he's gonna have to carry the load next year, and we'll get into it more later on. But from this team, MSU is losing Brian Lewerke, uh Cybert. Cybert's a senior, right? Great yeah. transfer. Yep. Daryl Stewart. Uh, that's all of your offensive weapons, save for Co- Cody White's a junior, but you know. You know, maybe things. You hope you you figure he'll come back and be your top receiver, but you know, with, with you know, who knows what happens. So it's going to be Elijah Collins who's asked to carry everything next year, and um, you know, it's kind of the future that MSU's looking at right now. And I'm not sure he's he's proven that. Obviously, he's shown glimpses and flashes, but um, you know, the offensive line hasn't blocked well for him, but I don't think he's proved that he can be a running back that can kind of overcome offensive line struggles. It kind of needs to go hand in hand, and we haven't seen that full production yet. Yeah, so let's go to the voicemail line, the hotline, I guess the cold line after the rain yesterday. 
Uh, thanks again to everybody who called in. The line is always open, but we usually only throw it out after games because that's usually the only time people want to talk. But the number again, if you guys don't know, is 517-798-6319. It's a bye week this week, but uh, keep an eye out for that in the future. So let's go to some of the fans who called in and we'll react to their thoughts. We'll start with Chris from his car. Hey, Chris and Colton, love the podcast. This is Chris calling from his car, leaving the Penn State-Michigan State game at halftime. Uh, seen enough uh, football to know what the result's going to be, but uh, it's lining up for a 45-yard field goal with a kicker who ranges 40 max into the wind in the first half when you're down 13, a fireball offense. Uh, that, that's really all I had. Um, I can't take much more of this uh this product that Michigan State's putting on the field, unfortunately, um, yeah, I mean, combined with this weather, uh, I, I've seen enough for today. Uh, thanks, guys. Love the podcast. So, obviously, he didn't miss much by leaving the game at halftime. Uh, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, Colton. Do you know what direction the wind was going? I, I thought it was going, I guess, it would be north to south. I, I thought they had the wind, but maybe were they going into it? Do you know? On that field goal time? I'm actually not sure. Yeah. I mean, it was... A mess of a day. Either way, the the weather was bad. It was going to be a tough field goal no matter what. I, as for that, I think the field. Yeah. Sorry. I, I think the field goal is more the the protection. Yes. On the field that goal. was it's a big, been well, terrible. That, yes. That's all. Well, that's what I was also going to say. Was, yeah. Yes. That the ball got blocked with his head. The Penn State player <laughs> yeah. hit him in the head. So, you know, that's not that one's not on, uh, Coughlin, um, Coughlin. However, how do you say it? Uh, <laughs> how, how do you say it? Uh, I've heard both, honestly. D'Antonio yeah, says both. That's what I thought. <laughs> I, say, I say I say Coughlin. Okay, I, I said both let's on go, here, we'll just, we'll just go with Coughlin. Um, but, right. you know, the other option is it's a 4th and 11. And, and do you trust this this offense to pick up a 4th and 11? I don't, no. I don't know. Not really. It was 13 nothing. It was still early. It wasn't It wasn't like – it wasn't a, a sad field goal or anything. But um, – uh, Chris was not alone in, in leaving at halftime. Uh, I'm sure we heard from some of the other people there. So uh, now let's go to Tom uh, Tom from Grand Haven. Hey, guys. This is Tom from Grand Haven. I watched the first half while riding the bike in my basement, but I haven't watched the rest of the game yet. Do you think I should? It's on the DVR. I'll wait to hear back from you. Bye. Uh, unless you want to see the Theo Day experience. You probably didn't miss much, just like Chris from his car didn't miss much. Uh, Colton, do you think you should watch the second half? Absolutely not. Absolutely and, not. And I hope he wasn't waiting on the edge of his seat for <laughs> uh, for us to tell him to watch or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you've been waiting to this point, you know, you you probably kind of already know. Long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurant come to you with DoorDash. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, or the Cheesecake Factory. And right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code GREEN. It's promo code GREEN, G-R-E-E-N. Uh, all right, let's let's go to Eric from Lansing. 
Hey guys, this is Eric from Lansing. Um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, check in, let you know that I think I just got pneumonia from uh, watching this game live at Spartan Stadium, at least for the first half. Um, I'm really wondering, I think I'm starting to get on the bandwagon of D'Antonio announcing uh, his retirement during the bye week. Um, if I'm Bill Beekman, I'm pulling him into my office and I'm telling him, look, the offensive staff is not going to be here next year regardless. You can either get rid of them or you can go with them. Um, I know that's not going to happen, and I don't even really mean it. Uh, I just I cannot believe how little this team seems to care. Uh, at one point, they were doing their little jump-around thing uh, in the first half, and it was almost like they were jumping ironically to the music in the stadium. They don't even want to be playing right now. But uh, anyway, I know that was a bunch of disjointed thoughts, whatever. Uh, great podcast, guys. You guys do a fantastic job. Thanks. Bye. Ooh, we, we appreciate that, Eric. You know, he actually makes a point that I thought about watching the game and have thought about for a while, and that there is, there is no energy from this MSU team, in part because there is no momentum. Like, it's not like they're scoring touchdowns and the defense can get fired up for that. Like, it's... It is very, very hard for this team to find something to grab onto to build some momentum. And I think you saw that. You you look at Michigan and what they did against Penn State. They got a little momentum in the second half against Penn State, and you can tell that carried over into the Notre Dame game. They put up 40-something points on Notre Dame, and the momentum builds, and there's, there's a sense of confidence rising up. It's been a month since MSU has had anything good to feel, anything to feel good about. So I, I, I think I, that's not necessarily, you know, their fault. It's it's hard to pull it from something, but, you know, what, if, is that leadership? I don't know. It, it, it generally only comes from people making plays, and there is just not much, uh, not much that, like, the team has a reason to get excited about for the next series or something like that. I, I, I thought that was a good point. Yeah, and, you know, I honestly think players are, like, trying their best. I don't, I don't think they've completely tuned out. It's just, you know, they're, they're playing some talented teams that are probably more talented than Michigan State is. And, yes, you know, you're definitely. Not, not and you're not, yeah, and you're not going to have those big plays. Like, I mean, they're few and far between. MSU had two plays over 12 yards in this game. So you're not, you can't really get pumped up on the sidelines or, or on the field, chest bumping and things like that. Especially Even on defense, you know, that was kind of, what this group was known for, like their energy and their passion when they're making plays. But when they can't get off the field on third down, no one wants to celebrate that. And, and then that just kind of reflects to the whole sideline and the rest of the team. So, so yeah, if, if the team looks lifeless, it's because they're not making plays and, you know, not coming through when they need to. Yeah. And may I like, I don't know if, I don't even know you can really put that on a, a, a pregame speech or, or captains getting people fired up. Like it, it just comes down to simply, making plays, scoring a touchdown and having a reason to be excited because there just is not a reason for anybody to be excited. So it's not going to happen until somebody makes a play. Uh, as for his comment about D'Antonio, on the idea that he should announce a retirement kind of plays into my thoughts on our next voicemail. Let's go to Brian from Pennsylvania. Hey, Christian Colton. This is Brian from Ashland, Pennsylvania. Didn't get to see any of the game last night because I was at a wedding. But I think the score in the second half pictures tell me everything I need to know. Got two questions for you guys. One is, does this prove that Michigan State needs a 
major change in their program, and two, what's the chance that Michigan State's going to end up 6-6 six and six after seeing them play this week and seeing how Illinois has been playing terribly? Is there a, is there a chance that they're going to end up 6-6? Six and six? I hate to be that pessimistic fan, but I don't know. There seems to be no bright side right now. Thanks, guys. So, so once again, the Antonio's future. Obviously, things are bad right now, and they could very well lose to Illinois in two weeks. Um, Illinois just beat Wisconsin and Purdue. They're four and four. They're playing pretty well. So, Rutgers and Maryland are also on the schedule. But MSU barely beat Rutgers last year, so I'm I, I'm not going to say MSU's guaranteed to win any of these games. If they finish six and six, or I mean, I guess or worse, um, there's going to be a ton of pressure on D'Antonio to step away, Beekman to to uh, make a change, and especially coming off of three straight losses plus two bye weeks, it there, there's it's it's all negative all the time. But what if this MSU team wins its final three of its final four to finish seven and five? Or what if they upset Michigan and finish seven and five or eight and four? I think the the Michigan game will be an interesting barometer of really where this program is because that's the one thing left, I think, is that they always play hard and competitive in that game. They almost always cover the point spread. If MSU goes to Ann Arbor and gets destroyed that will feel like the final nail in the coffin i think but if but if msu win if msu finishes 7 to 5 two wins does D'Antonio feel better about possibly trying to step away not knowing that it's it's, it's secure in a bowl game i i don't know as for announcing during a bye week I, I don't know. That just it doesn't normally happen. It'll immediately kill all of your recruiting. You'll probably lose most of those guys you don't need to you also don't need to announce a change in order to start a coaching search you can very easily go through search firms and agents and perhaps i mean if 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 bill beekman is he's new to this job but he probably already should be um seeing who's interested in this job if it comes open and and whatnot um so you can kind of do some of those things behind the scenes and then maybe make it a quick change at the end of the season kind of set that all up. It's, it's, how, it's how a lot of these things uh, tend to go. But if D'Antonio stays, if he's if he's not retiring or whatever, oh, one more thing. So he's got that big $4 million bonus in January. That was so he wouldn't leave to take another job. They can very easily negotiate a settlement if he decides to step away early and give him most of that money or whatever. So don't think mm-hmm. that is, don't think that's going to be any reason that he doesn't make a decision. He's not going to wait until January to to leave or something like that. But but if yep. he does but if he does decide to stay, he has to make huge changes. And in in but the question is will he? I look at Bob Stoops hired Lincoln Riley, made a big change, brought in Lincoln Riley and that's taken the Oklahoma program to new heights. Nick Saban got out of the stone ages, hired Lane Kiffin. Now Alabama's a great offensive team. Les Miles fired his offensive coordinator mid-season promoted a an analyst to the job, a guy from the NAIA ranks, and now Kansas offense is, is rolling. So 
you re- if, if he stays, you have to do these big mega changes. Is he willing to do that, or is he going to bring in another pro-style guy to run an offense? I don't know. Those are the questions I have. That's kind of my big take on everything. I know this is kind of a long response into a lot of things, but it's kind of wanted to throw that all out. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit on a lot of good points. Um, I, I guess for me, D'Antoni doesn't really strike me as a guy who would announce his retirement midseason at least. Um, so I, I guess if, if, they're, if we are going to hear one way or another, I'm still kind of expecting that to come, you know, December, January-ish, uh, probably, most likely December. Um, but, I mean, yeah, a, a lot of people have said, you know, if he does return, what's, what will happen to his offensive staff? Um, is he willing to start fresh at this point in his career? Um, would he be willing to let a few of those guys go? Or, or is it just easier for him to say, you know what, I've had a great career. I've won three Big Ten championships. I've, I've gone to a Rose Bowl and won college football playoff appearance. Um, you know, I'm set with my legacy. Maybe I can just walk away. Because I remember back in Big Ten media days, one of the things that struck me uh, when, when he spoke was that uh, he said he'll know when to walk away when he feels like someone else can do the job better. Um, I, I don't know if he's at that point yet, but, you know, when you're losing 100 to 17 against teams that you used to compete with in this conference and, you know, you said yourself that your program can't really stack up to theirs at, at the moment, um, you know, maybe, maybe you start to think about that more and more. Uh, so I don't know what's weighing on his mind. Uh, I'm, I'm still not expecting anything midseason, but I think we'll, we'll learn something in the next couple months. Uh, in terms of this season – I do think the Illinois game will be telling. Um, they've got a legit defensive line. They're playing well. They play Rutgers next week, so they could easily be riding a, a three-game winning streak into that MSU game. Um, so, and, and obviously, that's their first game after uh, these three straight top ten opponents. So this will really tell us if MSU just caught a bad break with the schedule or if this team has really kind of mailed it in at this point. So um, I'm expecting that Illinois game to be pretty telling. It was the Illinois game in 2016 that made everybody realize that, oh boy, this was going to be a real bad season. When That that was before you were on the beat, but man, we, we, we'll talk about it more when we get to the Illinois game, but MSU, Illinois did not at all want to be in that game. They had given up on the season, and MSU could not score. Illinois gets one big run, turns the whole game around. But we'll get to that later. The other thing with D'Antonio, and some people, a lot, number of people have asked me on Twitter, is would he be too stubborn to step away in the sense that he doesn't want to leave the program at six and six or kind of a real mess. Not as it's not as bad as the John L days, but it's not all that much better right now. And would he feel like he only wants to leave it when he knows it's going to be okay in the future? I don't know. Cause like we just kind of pointed out, I don't think it's going to be very good in the future. We, we talked about a lot of offensive guys who are leaving. You're also losing Joe Bocci. Kenny Wilkes, Raekwon Williams, um, all your almost all of your defensive stars as well. Yep. So it, it is going to be a rebuild next year. And does D'Antonio think he can go through that, or it's because it's probably only going to get worse? So well, that that's that's a good point. Because I mean, when you think about it, D'Antonio, if if he does want to leave it better than the program currently is right now, what what would that be? You know, a ten win season, double digit wins, and, and if so. When's the next time this team will get to 10 wins? This program will get to 10 wins. Right. You know, uh, like you mentioned, next year's looking like a rebuild. They're losing a lot of defensive stars. Um, I'm not sure there are too many names that you can just automatically plug as replacements. Um, the quarterback situation 
we're going to need to talk about that at some point later in the future because the the way it's being handled with Rocky Lombardi and, and Theo Day, um, I don't know if you can be confident in any of those guys going to next year. Um, so MSU will have a lot of questions in the future. I don't, I don't think this is a, a quick rebuild or a retool. Uh, I don't know the next time MSU will be able to get to 10 wins. I, you know, they've been able to turn things around in the past before, but, um, you know, does D'Antonio want to stick around to see that happen again? I'm not so sure. And, and I don't think the problem is D'Antonio should have stepped away a few years ago to secure his legacy or whatever. What he should have done a few years ago was make the especially offensive changes that were called upon after 2016, yeah. even after 2017, or even after 2018. Like he, D'Antonio, in large part, put this team where it's at right now because of his refusal to make any any real changes, especially on the offensive side. So it's not like you know he should have stepped away earlier or something. He should have made the changes earlier when he recognized the problems. One more thing uh, from this. Uh, Colton, I want to ask you, so D'Antonio t- commented after the game that the beauty of being 4-4 four and four is that you're not 2-7 and seven or something like that. That set a lot of people off. You yeah. were there. You were there. What was kind of the deal with that? Um, You know, he was he was looking for positives after this game, which, you know, that's a tough thing to do. Um, I think it's kind of – I know he's trying to keep the, the mindset right for his players. And I, I totally understand that. But that was just kind of an off-base comment and – you know, I was in I was I was in the, the interview room and he said that and I was tweeting everything he said like I always do, <laughs> um, and I tweeted that line because hey that struck me as something not- notable um, that you know we're four and four at least we're not two and seven um, that to me was a pretty telling quote about where things are right now so I tweeted that out and uh, I'm surprised I didn't get fully ratioed but I got a, a decent amount of replies to that tweet and. You know, most of them were aimed at D'Antonio. But, you know, honestly, I, he was looking for positives and he was trying to kind of spin a loss into, you know, we just came out of a three-game stretch against top ten teams and, you know, at least we're four and four. That's That was kind of my takeaway. But at the same time, uh, that, that, that sentence alone, it's, you know, you never want to hear a coach say that, especially where this MSU program has been over the years. You know, that 36-5 and five stretch and, you know, Rose Bowl, college football playoff appearance, to hear those words is kind of jarring, and especially combined with the performance we just saw, I think that's why we kind of had the reaction that we did. Yeah, it, it it kind of felt like a John L. Smith type of line. I mean, like like you said, I I, I like I don't think he's I don't think he's excited that they're four and four or something. No, he's just he's just trying to to you know what's he gonna say? He's not gonna say we suck. He's not gonna say he should fire his guys. You know, but. You know, not the best timing on that. Let's go to our weekly awards, which have become more and more difficult to do as the season has gone <laughs> on. Especially the Le'Veon Bell, how did he do that moment of the game? Oh, man. I'm just going to go with the fans who stuck around, people like Matthew Murray. How did they do that? How did they stick out 45, 50-degree weather in the rain? That was a very impressive performance by the fans who stuck around. And they get my how did he do that moment of the game? Yeah, that's very deserving of, of that award. Um, for me, I guess I'll go with the two MC plays that went for more than twelve yards. Um, there weren't a ton, uh, but Cody White had a forty-nine yard reception that I believe that's one that set up the, the touchdown by Anthony Williams, the only score of the day that broke a eight-quarter scoreless streak 
and I believe. 25. Oh yeah, we didn't even mention that. Yeah, they, they no, went we eight don't. quarters without that. They've gone, I think, six or seven halves without two hundred yards and a half. There's yep. just there's just nothing explosive. Twenty five possessions without a single point, as well. Um, so there's a forty nine yard reception and a nineteen yard completion to Matt Dotson. Tight end reception. We've there got go. Dotson here. <laughs> Dotson is there. Um, I was going to say something, but I forgot what it was. Uh, the John L. Smith screwing it up moment. Something we have a lot to choose from all the time right now. I'm going to go with something that one of the callers mentioned earlier. Right before, So it's right before the field goal. It's 13-0. They're down. They're at the 27-yard line. And Daryl Stewart gets hit with targeting in the end zone. Targeting ends up being reversed. Also, MSU committed holding on the play. So it goes from you thought it might be a, a pickup for the offense to, oh, replay the down to, oh, no, actually going back 10 yards. That led to the field goal attempt being blocked by, well, there was no blocking on MSU's part. Yeah. Um, more uh, more special teams mistakes. I mean, we think back to the Arizona State game. That's the field goal team again. Right. Been some problems there. Brandon Sowards muffed a punt in this game. Brandon Sowards muffed a punt in this game. Yep, yep, yep. And the whole reason you have him back there is to not turn the ball over because that was the problem with Cody White doing that. Also, Daryl Stewart got hurt on a kickoff. Did he return after that? I'm, I don't think so, actually. And yeah. There, it, a couple banged up receivers. Stewart, Stewart was hurt. CJ Hayes didn't even play because he was hurt. Um, Larice Nelson, I believe, was hurt some at some point in the game too. So they're kind of banged up at receiver right now, which already a thin position considering, you know, all the drops and, and the issues there. So it's not a good sign. Yeah. Daryl Stewart almost never returns the kickoffs. He only has, I think like seven on the year. It's almost always a fair catch. He finally does return one and he ends up getting hurt. And yeah. Kind of how things go. So my John L. Smith screwing it up moment is that whole situation of the holding penalty that knocked, that kind of ruined a touchdown chance led to block field. So D'Antonio made a comment after the game of uh, Theo Dan's of getting pulled. You'll get to it in a second, but Theo Dan's of getting pulled. I think work goes back in. I think it turned out that Theo Day called the wrong play. But uh, D'Antonio says he didn't give us the best chance to win, which I think was a way to kind of cover for him. But that was never Theo Day was never going to give you a chance to win. No offense, Theo Day, but he's the third string quarterback for a reason. So I don't. This whole is is MSU waving the white flag by putting in different quarterbacks? Are, are, are they trying to do it for the future, or is it to try to win now? Because comments like that are, are not really being clear on if you're playing for the future or not. I know you don't want to say you're giving up on the season, but just kind of a, a, a you'll get you'll explain it in better detail. But his D'Antonio's comments after the game about the quarterback management were also very confusing. Did you, yeah. did you find what you needed? Yeah. So, Lewerke has a drive and, and, you know, MSU turns the ball over. Next possession, Rocky Lombardi comes in the game. Um, you know, that went as well, about as well as anyone had thought. You know, <laughs> the, the, the offense wasn't moving the ball well at all. Uh, Rocky comes in and struggles himself. Um, he comes in for a second possession and there's no three and out. So, he wasn't moving the ball. He wasn't that effective out there. Um and, and at that point, D'Antonio said that his the reason he went to Lombardi was because he felt that, uh, you know, maybe a different quarterback would give them a spark at that point in the game. 
Yeah, that was not a clear waving of the white flag. That was D'Antonio trying to provide a spark at that point. And once he saw that didn't happen, then he put in Theo Day, the redshirt freshman. Those were really his first significant snaps in a game. Um, the first time he's really been asked to throw. Because most of the time, I believe he's just coming to take a knee, uh, you know, milk the clock before the end of the game. But he, he was in a drive to, to throw a couple times. He went two of three, and there's one point where, you know, he called the wrong play. I think Brian Lewerke said that after the game, and that was the reason why uh, he was pulled in favor of Lewerke for that that drive to complete it. Um, and and that was pretty jarring to me. You've got a redshirt freshman. Theo Day is a four-star recruit. Um, he could be the future of the quarterback position for MSU. Uh, that was his first time actually getting a chance to actually throw the ball. And Antonio said after the game that he didn't think Theo Day played well. And I don't know how good that is for your young quarterback's confidence, but he's done this over the years. You know, last year when, when Rocky was getting his first taste of action, uh, D'Antonio did not really give him too much confidence and wasn't really sold on him. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the same thing with Theo Day. So I, I kind of question how he's kind of managed these quarterbacks. And, you know, after Brian Lewerke came back in, uh, Rocky Lombardi ended up finishing this game. So it was, it was, it was kind of a mess at the quarterback position in the fourth quarter. And I really question everything that happened there. Yeah. So, Quarterback position, not a great uh, highlight either. Mike Sadler, punt of the game. I'm actually not going with the punt. I'm going with the weird time when MSU called timeout before halftime to to punt. I, they stopped the clock. They called timeout to punt and ended up drawing Penn State offside and keeping the drive alive. I don't know what the hell happened there. But yeah. Hart Parker was good, but that's my punt of the game That when they called timeout to punt. And I don't know how to explain that. It was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, I think you could say that about a lot of things in this game. <laughs> uh, I, Hardbarger did not have his best game. I think he only averaged a little over 30 yards per punt and shanked a few of them. And, uh, you know, D'Antonio kind of called him out after the game, said he needed to be better. But obviously the rain was a factor in that one. Um, I guess for me, I don't even I don't even know. Blake, Blake Gillikin from Penn State. I'll go with the one that, you know, he pinned them. He pinned MSU at the six-yard line. And that was the one that Brandon Sowards tried to fair catch and, and muffed. So I guess it was it was placed well enough to where Sowards thought that he could field it, which is funny because his the whole thing with him last year was not fielding the yes. ball and letting it bounce. This was a scenario where he should have let it bounce in the end zone, uh, but it was kind of in between where you know Sowards thought he could field it and the ball was wet and kind of slipped out of his hands. And that's a turnover right in you know. MSU territory and Penn State capitalized a couple plays later. Yeah. So not great punting special teams either. So that's going to do it here for now. Um, We will probably have a special guest on the Thursday podcast. So keep an eye out for that. That one is for subscribers only. I know we've got another bye week coming up, but we want to try some different things with this podcast, try to bring on some other people, try to keep more of, all of you listeners involved with tweets and voicemails. Um, so keep an eye out on Twitter. We'll be asking for some of that. I'm on Twitter at, at Chris Vanini. He's at Colton underscore Pouncey. Um, so we got a couple weeks here now of, uh, of no football. So we'll try to do some different things because we want to keep you guys listening. And we appreciate those of you uh, who continue to listen, even those watching the team is very difficult. So keep an eye out for that in the, in the coming next week or so try to have some some new people on here um so that's gonna do it here again please rate review subscribe give us all the feedback and everything we uh we we see it 
and we appreciate it. So for Colton Pouncey, I'm Chris Vanini. Thanks to our producer, Mike Zimmerman. Shout out to the road dog, Jesse James. We will see y'all later.